Brooks, and welcome to another edition of the Variable Deep Postulate Ensemble Projects. This is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawsoff, and as always, I'll be acting as your host. Today's guest is trumpeter, composer, band leader, and producer, Jim Manley from St. Louis, Missouri. This is a great interview, and we'll get to it quickly. First, my weekly shout-out to the companies I endorse. I play wedge custom mouthpieces created by Dave Harrison of British Columbia, Canada. Just go to the wedgemouthpiece.com website to get more info. And hey, why not schedule a trip up to Gabriola Island in um, uh, British Columbia this summer to visit the wedge factory? The setting is breathtakingly beautiful, and Dave is both a gracious host and an incredibly knowledgeable mouthpiece engineer. Think about it. I also play gets and trumpets from bass trumpet to piccolo. I play Eternas, Customs, and even the 490 Intermediate Student model. These are all fantastic horns and are very reasonably priced for the quality. Additionally, every piece of these horns, uh, from the valve blocks to the bells, are 100% American-made right in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Consider a visit to the Getson Factory, which is only a few miles away from the beautiful Lake Geneva Resort area. Look up Adam Getson. He's the man. Today's show is chock full of great info and stories that can help educate anyone of any age and any level of experience about what it is to survive as a freelance professional musician in the 21st century. That having been said, all of the shows fit that description. Now, unlike news or politics-driven podcasts, there's no time sensitivity to the shows that I've done. That is, you can listen to them in any sequence. All the shows are archived right at SoundCloud. So please, if you like today's show, and this is uh, your first listen, hit subscribe and go back and catch up on the archives. Uh, even if it's not your first listen, go back and catch up on the archives. Uh, even though this is my little podcast, I personally find these interviews both informative and heartening. The we're all in this together vibe is really quite palpable. Okay. My guest today is trumpeter Jim Manley. I'm going to let Jim tell you his own story, but first let's hear some of his music. He has many CDs, and I mean many, and I have several. Here's a cut from his CD, Eight. In addition to Jim's trumpet solo work, we hear from Rob Nugent on alto and Greg Trampy, I hope I said that right, on organ. Here's a Johnny Burke tune called Preach and Teach. I really like this one.
right, folks, as mentioned in the teaser up front, I'm now uh, online speaking to Jim Manley, trumpet player extraordinaire from St. Louis. Hey, man, Jim, how are you doing? I'm great, Nick. Good to hear from you. Nice to hear from you, too. All right, so, uh, Jim, I've got, like, all kinds of questions I want to ask you. So, uh, but I kind of want you to tell us, you know, a little bit more about you uh, in all this first, because this is really about what your work is. So, when did you decide to make music your life's work? How, how did you know this is something you wanted to do when you were a young I, player? You know, I don't know if I picked it or it picked me, because I, I can remember, I can go back as far as seventh grade, which would have been way back in the 67 for me, and I remember the, I remember the band director coming around with instruments and and nobody in my family played music and I I couldn't hit the big uh, the wiffle ball with the big fat red bat so <laughs> I picked the trumpet out and it, it just I don't know I I loved it really from from early on I really I'm did. sorry I like the wiffle ball thing <laughs> yeah well and that's that's a true story and uh, I had I had uh, five brothers and three sisters and and they all excelled at something or the other and I excelled at nothing. And uh, it only took me 30 years to even understand how to play the trumpet, let alone, uh, you know, I can't say that I excel at it. I just stuck with it. But uh, as a living, I started uh, in 1982 uh, playing in a band. That was what, that was the first band I was that I, I that's all I did. Yeah, of course, I, yeah. I played in bands from, you know, high school and college and on uh, the oh. normal stuff, you know, when a jazz band and marching band and uh, all that stuff. Now you you live in St. Louis. Have you always been in St. Louis? Have you, has your music work life been in St. Louis? Yeah, almost exclusively in St. Louis. I mean, uh, I never did a lot of traveling. I was just so busy here. I mean, you know, uh, and I'm sure you can attest to this, Nick, because you've been out in it. You know, when I played in the '80s, really all the way through the '90s, I was in a pop band, and this band worked 25, 28 nights a month. I mean, it was crazy. Wow. And uh, I joined him in 82, and I took over the booking in 85. And we were young guys, and uh, I remember telling them, well, hey, we're going to get some tuxedos and play weddings. And they said, oh, you're crazy. And we did. And uh, <laughs> we were we were the top wedding band in St. Louis for those, uh, you know, the next 15, 20 years. Wow. So uh, I also was the band leader and uh, the guy that coordinated all the weddings. So uh, the income was pretty good from that. I mean, it was a lot of work. But but I, I did that for that band was around for almost 30 plus. Well, it was 30 plus years, 34 years, I think. Now, this is talk about St. Louis. I actually grew up in St. Louis. People tend to think of me as a Chicago guy, well, but sure. I grew up down there. That's and, funny. And I try to imagine if we ever crossed paths. I don't know that we ever did. No, uh, not, not here. I mean, when did you leave? Oh, I 19... 76, I think, is when yeah. I left. Yeah. Did yeah, you ever see, play in the, did you ever play in the Merrimack Community College band? You know, I never play I never played in that band. I I I was a featured soloist with them I think once or twice, but I never was in the band. Yeah. Those years you were there, I was down in uh, Cape Girardeau at school. Ah, okay. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever know Dan Welty? Uh, oh that, yeah, I knew Dan yeah. Welty very, very well. Yeah, great. Yeah, you know, remarkable player. Sorry, he had to go so young. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you a quick Dan Wealthy story. It's funny because he was called the Mighty Thor, and I mean, this guy put some air in the trumpet. He could yeah. play, but uh, <laughs> he would come out to my gigs and go, "Man, I got to get together with you, man. I just got to get together with you. I want to, I want to, I don't want to blow this hard anymore." And he'd come over and sporadically he'd work on what I gave him, and then by about the third lesson he came over, and I'm trying to show him just not to blow his heart and back off a little bit. And he just had had it. He just put the horn in the case. He goes, ah, screw it. I'm just going to play the way I play. And he played great. <laughs> he did do well. Yeah, for those listeners um, who may not know who Dan Welty was, uh, he was another alumni of the Maynard Ferguson Dan. And the first guy I ever met who could just drill a triple high C. We used oh, to sit yeah. him, ask him, hey, Dan, play a triple high C. Yeah, crazy guy, man. I mean, he was just... He he played here so much with Bob Cuban and a lot of bands here and uh, yeah yeah. Then he was playing. Uh, he was at a little club. This is later on in his career, uh, with a, a guy that did Elvis. And uh, I'd always stop by after my gigs and sit in. We we had a blast together. Yeah yeah. yeah. Let's get back to the. Uh, try I digress a bit there. I want to get back to your uh, your work. Um, now you're talking about working in the '80s and. Uh, again, a lot of our listeners and the target audience are young musicians who are trying to get a feel for what it's like to make a living playing. And so I think perhaps a little chronology information might be worth uh, mentioning here. 
Am I getting the impression that you might qualify as a there? I say boomer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> yeah, I was born way back in 1954. Okay, I'd say so, yeah, we're in the same ballpark. All right, yeah. I, I think it's important for uh, younger musicians to get that. Um, so the the scene was different for promoting music back then. Oh. Um, you uh, mentioned taking over booking that pop band. Can you tell me what the name of that pop band was? Uh, you were... uh, that ba- that band was called Fantasy. And, okay. Uh, we, like I said, we we started in '82. That was the hot band down on when there were a lot of things happening in the landing and clubs were packed. I mean, I mean, you know what? Uh, people don't realize that you didn't have all the TV you have now. You didn't have the internet. wasn't you know happening. Uh, so people went out. I mean, it's hard for me to it's just sound like grandpa, but I'm saying we played <laughs> Sunday through Wednesday nights at this place from 9.30 to 2.30 in the morning, and it was packed every night. That's a Sunday through a Wednesday. Yeah. And yeah. then we play another club Thursday through Saturday, but the clubs were packed. Uh, we didn't even know what a DWI was. That stuff didn't exist. So the whole <laughs> scene has changed a lot, you know? Yeah. We we were kids, too, and the, and the people coming in were kids, but. That whole scene's changed a lot. There's uh, there's a lot. That band was at that time was uh, seven and eight pieces at, at different times, and uh, there was just a lot more clubs to play, and a lot more people going out. And it was just you never thought it would end. I mean, it was one of those kind of things. We were so busy all the time, and it just flew by. It just went by so fast. Yeah, you know, as as we're talking about this, uh, I remember when I was a young guy coming up, and I would uh, hang out with players uh you know a generation ahead of me and they would tell me stories you know yeah. th- th- very much like the stories we're telling what's a little bizarre is finding the shoe on the other foot now you know right. now, the, <laughs> now we're the right. ones telling these stories but i think these stories are hugely important to understanding what it is to to do this for a living well, um, exactly I, and i agree with you totally i mean i i play at a place on uh, i have a duo on wednesday nights uh, sometimes it's keyboard player and myself sometimes as a guitar player myself but i get some of these young guys come in and sit in and i'm telling you they're, they they're, they they sound great they're playing great yeah. and uh, they're all so frustrated because there's just so few places to play uh you know uh on a on a weekly basis i mean it's just rare to even have that yeah well, that's that's interesting i want to keep i want to keep digging in on this topic here um uh so the the number of places to play seems to have gone down for live playing, uh, and yet uh, you have managed to uh, adapt and survive. I mean, yeah, I'm, I I'm, just, I'm, I just, I'm watching you. I'm watching your stuff online, and you're working like crazy. And I think that is just wonderful. I want to get a handle on what you're doing to make that all work. Well, I I, I guess I'm just lucky. I I don't. I mean, you know, they're we talk about it all the time. You have to be professional. You have to be there on time. Yeah. It's crazy things that I don't think about. You have to watch the volume. They're just thinking, you know, uh-huh. you, you got to be smart about it. You just can't come in at a club. I tell these young guys, you just can't come in a club and expect that everybody's going to love to hear the trumpet during dinner. <laughs> because, because <laughs> you know, the trumpet can mess up a good sandwich. So you have to be aware. Strolling uh, trumpet players. Yeah, That's right. You have to be aware of, a lot of things other than I think I play great. That's not the number one thing in, about playing in, in, a, in, a, in an environment that is not a jazz club. And the jazz clubs are so far and few between. I mean, I mostly play restaurants. That's where I'm at. I'm basically uh-huh. a background. That's all they want. I'm not going to go in there and, and try to play the stuff like I would play on some of my recordings. Or I'm not going to go in there and try to, to bust a bunch of high notes. You play the scene, and that's what I think a lot of these young people uh, miss out on, and only because it's not because they're not brilliant. It's just because they haven't had enough experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I can tell you how many times. I, yeah, you know, I'm sure you played Nick and I. I'm, as a trumpet player, there's been many times when I thought I was playing quiet, and they still tell me to turn yeah, down. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm group, on gigs you're talking about, I'll even bring in a cornet or flugelhorn. I mean, I'll even bring a trumpet. Um, yeah. Now, uh, I kind of want to get into a, a little bit of trumpet geekdom here because, you know, especially when your name pops up on the promotion for this uh, podcast, I'm going to have trumpet players coming out of the woodwork to listen to it. Um, so you have a, how should we put this delicately, a reputation 
as somebody <laughs> who, who uh, will strip paint off the walls and, and can make that happen in a big way. And I think it's like ridiculously cool. I have a lot of your CDs and stuff. But the, um, the thing is, uh, you have just alluded to the fact that you can't. You just can't do that all the no, time. No, no. Uh, it's funny because uh, I I do my CDs because I just I I grew up with with Maynard and I you know yeah. I, I grew up in the seventies. Man, Trumpet was the king. You know, mm-hmm. you had Doc, you had Chase, you had Maynard. I mean, it, it was the king. Yeah. So that's the stuff. I think once your head locks into something, uh, maybe that's your music forever. It's not that I sit all day and listen to Maynard anymore because I've heard it so much. Yeah. Uh, but my Playing gigs are are just not like that anymore. They're they're the opposite. They're Chet and uh, Miles and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. American Songbook. Uh, so I do the CDs just just for fun. It's just fun for me and yeah. to try to keep that excitement that we had around in the '70s and you playing with Maynard in the '80s. So that excitement is kind of gone. It's gone the wayside a little bit, and uh, uh, that, that's why I do the CDs. As you know, there's not any money in that anymore. Exactly. Uh, it's really hard to make a living playing yeah. music online. Yeah, I, and occasionally I do get get a uh, a guest artist shot somewhere, or I am uh, back in a pop band that's based a couple hours out of my hometown in Columbia, Missouri, and that band plays Tower of Power in Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and yeah, and there yeah. you can stretch out a little bit on the high notes. So, but really. Uh, in the clubs, I mean, it, it depends on what you think's high. I still use the high register even on my jazz gig. I just don't do it loudly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now that's an interesting thought. Um, do you find this kind of a uh, like a pleasure to not have to play the high notes? Like, oh, kind of, yes, I do. Yes, I yeah, do. yeah. Who wouldn't? <laughs> now, uh, you know, they, don't, they don't. They don't ever really go away. The high notes never really go away, and I still play them every day in my practice session. It's just that, it, you know, a, a high F can sound relatively as high as a good double C in yeah, the right yeah. setting. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. It's all about the, the meat and potatoes of the sound, I think.
Now, um, uh, when you work on these smaller group things, uh, do you just uh, you, you just play tunes? Uh, is yeah, that what you yeah, do? just American Songbook, basically. Okay. All right. Um, did you ever have any problems with people who know you? Thinking, gee, I don't know if I want to hire Jim Manley to come in and play in my restaurant because it'd be boiling off all the coffee. Uh, well, you, y- yes, that you have to happened. get by that. Yeah, yeah, but I've been doing it. Uh, when the when the when the band the pop band broke up and I I turned sixty, I decided I, I really wanted to play jazz and play a little smaller group stuff and and challenge myself with that. So I just booked myself as many places I can I could and uh, and I just went in and behaved. So it worked out. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, what can I say? Um, so how do you get these gigs? I mean, I don't want you to give away trade secrets, but I think it would be really useful to people who are trying to figure out how to do this. On their own. Do you just go into a restaurant and say, hey, I play trumpet and I have a guitar and a bass. Uh, we want to come in and play. I mean, how do you handle that? Well, you know, say the St. Louis music scene is fairly small. I mean, everybody knows everybody, and it's it's not spread out like Chicago. So, uh, yeah, I've I've just been I guess I've just been here so long that they just know me, and then this guy will say this, and this guy will say that, or you know, though my Wednesday night usually draws a pretty good crowd, and people will come in and say hey, you should play here, and 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 I used to have demos, CDs, and all that. That's all gone by the wayside now. Really? They want okay. Everything off. They really would like to see things off YouTube and almost always videos they would like to see. Ah, you know, okay. Club owners would like to see videos. And you got to remember, too, that these people that own these clubs and restaurants, they're swamped. Because once somebody starts playing there, then 100 people are calling them, you know. Ah, so you okay. want to make sure that the first time you go in there, you do a good job. Try to bring some people in that maybe have not been in the area. Make sure you're cool, you're on time, you play quiet. You know, watch the clock. Don't stretch out the brakes. Don't go to the bar and expect to get 20 free tequilas. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just common sense stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and once you do good, then they'll most likely book you back. Now, I, I will say for new guys coming up, since you asked that, it is a little tougher for them to get in the, the revolving door. And I hear them complain to me all the time about it. Well, you're already established. Well, yeah, but at one point I was not established. Okay, good point. I just point. went in and did the good. I went in and did the right thing, and I think I'll, you know, uh, even at my Wednesday night gig, I'll have sax players come in and, and want to sit and I'll go. Now look, you got to play as quiet as I do because it's a small room. Well, they can't, they can't even do that. It's just so overwhelming. Wow. It's overwhelming for. Her. I don't know why why I can play quiet, but I can play quiet. I have no idea why. I, I just can't. I can just play really quiet. Okay, I, that actually triggers another train of thought here. Okay, so I'm going to drift into the world of trumpet geekdom a little bit. Now, I was at a clinic you did up here in the Chicago area in the basement of the church. I uh, remember John, that. Yeah, John Thomas only from Brass in the Past organized that thing. And I was really fascinated by a bunch of things you said. And I've, I, when I've done clinics, I actually have three videos that I use in my clinics to support ideas I'm going to sell. Two of them are yours. Uh, you're talking to the guys from the airmen. Another one is that Rashawn, uh, Rashawn, I can never say his name, but I'm embarrassed. Uh, Ross from uh, the Dave yeah. Matthews band. Yeah, uh, right and uh, uh, who's picking off triple high C's like they're nothing. Um, right. And you mentioned the idea that you use like no air. Okay. Oh, well, that, I have to, I have to interrupt you there because okay. I was, I was yelled at by my teacher, Bobby Shue. Don't ever say that. <laughs> say very little air. And you know Bobby, so you know. I, I got a phone call yeah. about that. Did yeah. you really? That's hilarious. Yes. Well, because well, no air is incorrect. And, okay. uh, you got to use some air, but yeah, I know what you're – you were being – you you were <laughs> yeah. using a little hyperbole there. That's, that's okay. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just there, – there's a couple of thoughts about how to play the trumpet, and uh, – the guys I teach, I teach a lot of Skype lessons to guys who just want to play easier. Yeah. Less, you know, it's not so hard. And so I have this way of playing that I don't use a ton of air. And there's all these thoughts that this guy used a ton of air and this guy didn't. But the fact is, if you put the mouthpiece in the trumpet and you take two fingers and you tap the mouthpiece, mm-hmm. that makes a sound. It happens to be a pedal C. 
But I always ask guys, how much hair do you think that's taking to produce a sound? You're yeah. tapping two fingers on a mouthpiece. So why are you going to load up and blow a ton of air through that when that's not how it works? I mean, you yeah. can make it work that way, and a lot of people have been very successful. I've just never been a guy that wanted to uh, 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 blow the brains out kind of playing thing, you know? Well, uh, and the thing is, I really like that way of thinking. The idea of uh, you know, making this a big physical endeavor. You know, you're not trying to run a four-minute mile. You're playing trumpet. And, I mean, look, uh, look, yeah, you're right. I mean, look at look look at all the great trumpet players that you and I know. They're not exactly uh, physical specimens by any means. <laughs> well, now Rick but, Wetzel would take an exception with you there. Well, Rick's the only one. <laughs> Right. Rick's in great shape. Uh, the most of my trumpet playing friends uh, that have reached our age are not in the peak performance position. You know, uh, I always tell baby I was in shape once. I was seven years old. <laughs> so I, I, it, they say it's a physical instrument. I I think it's more yoga like, honestly. Yeah, I and I again I really like the idea of using uh, a lotless hair and just just. Try to get the instrument to do the do the work for you rather than knocking yourself out. So uh, your way of thinking is a little different from what a lot of other teachers you know espouse, and um, uh, I uh, feel like you know it's it's really nice to hear a different uh, way of thinking, a different way of saying it uh, from what everybody else is thinking, because I think it's important for uh, newer players to consider other ideas because you're going to work it out for yourself in the long run. You're, that, nobody's going to do it right. for you. Um, you know, take, take a chapter from everybody. I mean, the great thing about technology today is there's so many people out there offering advice and some of it is so great. And, uh, and you can get, you can get a lot of it for free and just try and see what works for you. Eventually that's what you're going to do anyway. Yeah. But I all, on the other hand, Nick, you probably are like me and I've met guys who have, have done the same routine for 30 years and uh, and they're religious to it, two or three hours a day, and they unfortunately do not get any better. Yeah. <laughs> and I always say, well, you know, you might just want to try a slightly different approach after. There you go. Years. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, real good comment, real good thought. Um, so okay, now, uh, did you ever have in your music experience? Did you ever work? A day gig. Was that something you ever did, or you just been strictly busy? Yeah, I did. I uh, oh, I did a lot of different things. I sold uh, I sold shoes by mail, a nurse's shoes by mail. This would be in the 70s. Uh -huh. And then I got into a, a brokerage firm, and I, I became a printer. I ran a printing press for uh, wow. three or four years, and all the equipment that came alongside that. And uh, even then, that would be that would be, that would have been in the uh, well late 70s, early 80s. I saw Carpet America as a different picture, and I was still out trying to play gigs then too, but I saw Carpet yeah, America yeah. as uh, something I didn't really want to be part of. Uh, I saw a guy that was a brilliant guy, a boss, and he's kind of a goofy guy, and they just all made fun of him, and I thought, you know what, there, it's got to be something better than this. And so I decided to just be poor my whole life and play the drum. <laughs> but, and I, and I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed 90 percent of it. So. You're doing a, a, some amazing stuff here. Okay, I've, I've got more questions. Uh, now, we can talk a lot about what it is to be a professional musician. What, when you first got started, compared to what it is now, uh, what would you see as the necessary survival skills that you would want to make sure a younger player uh, had to be able to get out there and get to work? Boy, that that's a great question, and I I don't know if I have the answer to it. Uh, I just other than uh, be professional and uh, know your instrument and know what you're going into play. Now uh, that being said, there's a lot of guys that are successful freelancers that can go in and sight read anything uh, and play any kind of style. I'm not that guy. Uh, a I cannot sight read at all. Oh. Period. Zero. Nothing. If you hand me a sheet of music, you expect me to cite music, uh, I'll be going home immediately. Uh, so there are guys that come out of school that are a lot more prepared for that kind of thing than I am. Uh, and there is work out there. You just have to, I guess, establish, I don't want to say kind of career, but I mean, I've just done it so long that it, it's just accept that I'm going to come in and not screw your restaurant or club up. Now, do you, would you say learning a lot of tunes? 
the, the yeah I know I think that definitely helps and being able, being able to play a, a quite a different quite a different few styles you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. obviously all the all the all the stuff that's been passed around generation to generation I think is true I don't think uh, I think the day's gone where you don't have to come up and play Cherokee in twelve keys I mean. Okay. Because I can't even play it in one. <laughs> it's a tough so Twelve is not going to work at all. Yeah. But the thing is, I mean, I guess I I don't know how to answer that question because I don't I try to give these guys as much advice as I can, but only the way I did it, and the yeah. way I did it is just different than other people. Maybe because I I my ear is not that great, and I I uh, I don't read the jazz tunes. Obviously, I know them. I've been playing them for so long. Uh, uh, so I don't know what – I guess I'm kind of stuck on advice for the guys. Other than just go out and play, you know. There's so many jam sessions here. They can go out and play and make names for themselves and behave. Don't get up there and play 30 courses when there's 20 guys in line, you know. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, the, the, the normal rules that come under the under the uh, heading of common sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, are there any pitfalls uh, that you would say – you would want to warn young players about, you know, things like, you know, watch it. Don't let this happen. Don't do this. Don't walk into this uh, trap that well, you can kind of. I think you'll agree with, uh, you'll agree because you've been around like I, I, when you're young and you're, you're out playing, you'll do anything to please these owners and you'll do anything to please uh, a client. And along the line, you learn that it's almost impossible to always please these people. So, you know, I guess just from experience, that you know you have something to offer, and uh, you just watch out for yourself too because they will use and abuse you. Okay, interesting. So watch your back, so to speak. Yeah. Um, how much time do you devote to practice? You mentioned that you do practice, and you know, frankly, I was practicing a little bit before um, yeah. uh, the Skype thing came up here. Uh, so how much time do you actually devote to practice every day? Well, I try. I try to do a. Uh, it just depends on what my schedule is that week playing wise. Like I just came off this week of playing uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and then and two of the pop bands Friday and Saturday. So when I left the horn off Sunday and, and uh, picked it up today, it was like, it's already there. I do a, a, some mouthpiece buzzing to start some facial exercises start. And then uh, just different patterns. You know, I, I always come go down into the pedal tones and come out of them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. For me, that's important. Uh, uh, it just gets me loose, and it's not a big warm-up time for me, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Well, you put, put in like two or three hours every day on the horn? Oh, no, 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 not even close. Oh, really? If, if I spend a half hour on the horn uh, prior to a gig that night, that's that's a lot of time. Now, it depends. if I'm working on something, then it's a whole different thing. If I'm uh, working on a CD down here, sometimes I'll play till nothing, one thing wants to come out of the horn, and then I look at the, my watch and go, oh, my God, I got a gig. You get so wound up in the but really, uh, it's not a big warm-up time for me. If I'm working on something, it's just working on something I can't play, or yeah, uh, yeah. or trying new licks, or or you know, just playing. Period is is fun for me. But I do spend some maintenance time. I would say a, a half hour to forty-five minutes a day with wow. combine different combine different things I do just to keep the chops working. Yeah, and that'll okay. that'll involve playing tunes too. But my warm-up is pretty much. All the, always the same is just uh, I do a, 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 a pedal C on, on on my mouthpiece, and I just kind of hang on to it for five minutes. Okay. I'll think oh. start feeling, and then you can go on. Yeah. Okay, interesting. That's a – different strokes for different folks. I think it's right, really, right. again, fascinating to hear how this all, all works out.
talk about your recording, your CDs, because you mentioned that and you sort of cite it as something that's different from a professional thing because it's hard to make a lot of money selling. I mean, I've got a lot of CDs left when I sit around my well, basement. Well, right. You know? you know, as a matter of fact, Nick, I had one of your I had one of your recordings on a uh, cassette. And I, oh, I'd God. be darned if I could, I could think if, if I, I'll be darned if burn I could it, think the burn it, burn it. No, was it called Brass Menagerie or something oh, like that? Burn it. Does oh, that, God. Does that ring a bell? Oh, it rings, it rings a gong. I think there's some tracks <laughs> up there I don't want anybody to hear. Okay. Oh, oh no, I love, I loved it. I remember I, when, when you, when you, uh, 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 emailed me about doing this, I thought, man, I remember going back now. I had that oh, on cassette. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, well, don't tell anybody. Go hide it at least. Well, I got um, a few out there myself. I. <laughs> there, you know. It's all about it's all about learning and, and progressing things. Uh, oh, that's but, right. The, but and I think the thing is, I think it's about recording and leaving a footprint. I, I think leaving a footprint uh, so that your music is not something that can disappear into the mists of time. I think that's hugely important. Yeah, and, uh, and I I agree with that. And I also, I mean. Uh, everything I recorded, which has gone, which has come from uh, uh, the first recordings, were well, uh, kind of funky stuff. And then I got into some big band things, which really weren't few, big bands, but thirteen-piece bands, eight-piece bands. Yeah. And that was a key. That was just keeping the legacy of the stuff I fell in love with in high school alive. You know, my band director happened to be a guy that sold the. Uh, records by mail out of his basement. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like you're making that up nowadays that that was an actual business and oh. a good business. And so when I was in my junior and senior year, my band director, Ed Levinsky, who happened to be a great trumpet player, he would bring me different records. Uh, every day I would listen to different records. And uh, he's the guy that turned me on to Maynard first, but he, I hired all the great big bands and guys that nobody talks about, Jack Sheldon and Connie Condole. He oh, turned yeah. me on to all these guys. So when I had an opportunity to kind of give these things back or one that somebody say, what do you want to record? I go, man, I'd love to do a big band thing one day, but I like the band, big bands of the sixties, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which the splendor and the brass things, uh, uh, kind of amplify that sixties band thing. And then, uh, then we did a couple, uh, recordings called brass poison where we kind of took pop tunes right. and, and poisoned them in the trumpet playing, you know, uh, <laughs> and then, and then all the original stuff I do, uh, it goes almost back to the funky stuff, and yeah. I did, you know. So I, I, I already to... forgot what the question was, and I don't <laughs> think I even answered it. That's, That's all right. Uh, you're producing, or have produced quite a few CDs, and you've got a new project out with Branded. Um, and you know, I've got uh, you know, Lip Trip, Splendor and the Brass, and uh, Splendor and Brass, and Eight. And you mentioned the big band things. I'm listening to these things and they sound great. You know, we're going to be playing like four or five tracks as part of the show. Right. Um, how did you go about financing this stuff? Did you have a well, backer you or know, did you just do it out of your pocket? That's a great question. Uh, uh, I did uh, lip trip myself. Yeah, the lip trip thing was a uh, was uh, uh, one of my students, Scott Alsbach, who was a brilliant trumpet player, and uh, but he got into the computer music way ahead of everybody uh, yeah. going to school at SIU. And he really produced uh, the first Lip Trip album, uh, the Lip Trip album. And uh, it's all computer-generated music, basically, and me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. went on to a successful career. Uh, he produced a lot of people, but he uh, always remained a trumpet nut. But he, he, he produced Avril Lavigne's uh, record that had five hits on it. So he did pretty well, and he's out of that business now because it's so crazy. He just yeah. got yeah. so disgusted with it. And then uh, I was doing some studio work on somebody else's album, again, that didn't involve sight reading. And uh, <laughs> one of the producers, an older gentleman, had a label called Victoria at a recording studio where I had done some previous work, Music Masters in St. Louis. And he popped his head in and he said, hey, how would you – What? I bet you don't know this song. And I go, well, what would it be? Because I was in there doing a, a, a funk thing. And he goes, I bet you can't play Can't Get Started. So I played Can't Get Started. Yeah. I, I did all it's been that. a while. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, he said, well, what would be your dream record? And I said, oh, obviously a big band thing. And uh, there's a, an album out called Splendor and the Brats by a guy named Chuck Segel, who was just an arranger, producer guy. And I fell in love with that album when I was in high school. Uh -huh. And so we actually took some of those tunes and rewrote them for 12 or 13 pieces. I can't remember 
Yeah. And we did two of those albums. And then he at that time, CDs were selling great. I mean, we would order a thousand of those things at a time and have to reorder them. It's hard for hard to believe now. I'm trying to think the years this would have been uh, mid 90s into 2000. No, I, I take that back. Uh, Splendor in the Brass was 2001. I know that because we recorded on September 11th. That's kind of funny. I remember that. Ooh, yeah, yeah. But uh, those albums sold really, really well. And uh, we did, I think I did four or five things for him. And then we went into Brass Poison, which is was kind of pop tunes, as I said before. Uh, and uh, and he, unfortunately, the label just folded. I mean, the gentleman retired. He was he was an architect, and that was his love. He did like 50, 50 different records on Victoria Records uh, was his label. And... Uh, he retired and, and just kind of the label edit. So I went into recording at home, you know. Okay, I so initially, myself. so initially you have a couple of backers. Now you're doing this. It's kind of like DIY is the way of the world now, right? Well, yeah, just like you do, Nick. You do yeah. so many recordings at home, and I, you know, I was always into recording even when I was a kid. Yeah, I was fascinated by it. And when when we would mix those, when the uh, engineer would mix those big band albums and. Uh, I would come with him, and I I just watched what he did. I mean, I just trying to learn, and I always enjoyed messing with. Him. And I have to say, as you know, you do it too. Uh, it's quite an experience. If you go back and listen to my first album I did at home, and the last one, you learn so much <laughs> because the trumpet <laughs> is a pain in the ass to me. <laughs> yep, yep. That's why I want you to burn that that tape uh, or, or get a blackmail with me with it or something. I don't know what to say. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the the DIY thing that's a that's a recurring theme now. Uh, yes. uh, I, I just did an interview with a percussionist last week, and he he actually commented on the fact that is in the long run he feels it's a better financial investment to buy the gear than to run out and buy studio time. Well, yeah, you can't. I mean, studio time is so. It's not that it's that expensive. It's just the time goes by in there so fast, and you know sometimes I'd have a slot opening up, and he'd want me there at ten in the morning, and you record some of the stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, you don't get it. I cannot – I don't want to play at 10 in the morning. You know? <laughs> at least this way, I have control over, A, exactly. my sound. I have control over when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Uh, the, the, the problem is there's just – it's not financially uh, – it can't be a financial goal to put music out on a CD because, A, CD players are pretty much out of the picture. Yeah, and, yeah. Disappearing faster and faster. And uh, and everybody knows uh, the price that you get paid for a digital download is, you know, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You charge a buck and you get like a half a cent or something. It's, it's... you get you get point uh, zero zero three or six of a penny. So in other words, yeah. three hundred plays will equal one penny. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of. And crazy if it's trumpet thing. music, you'll be lucky to get three hundred <laughs> plays. <laughs> That's kind of a uh, again. I don't think. I, yeah, I think a lot of musicians are that are like me, and they just do it for the love of music. You, you, you just fall in love with music, and and again, uh, not to to reinstate again, but I'm just trying to keep a certain trumpet thing out there alive. And if nobody buys it, that's okay. I'm still gonna do it. It's just what I do. And I think that's beautiful. And I think putting it out there so people can get to it online is hugely important because you know it's a big world. You don't know who's listening, and you can reach out and touch people. Um, well, that that is that is true because uh, I've had a lot of friends who uh, who go out on cruise ships and uh, as as a passenger, and uh, they'll you know people that come and see me play here, and they'll go out on cruise ships and they'll go they'll go out to the band and they'll go uh, they go where are you from? And they he goes St. Louis. They go oh you know Jim Manley then. <laughs> the musicians all know it. they listen, and you know yeah, they may yeah. not download it, but they listen, and it. it, it I can't travel the world, but my music can. Yeah, you know, and that's that's a beautiful thing, and that's an interesting thought. The, your music can travel the world, and I dare say that it does.
latest project, Branded, uh, was that a DIY project? I keep saying yes. DIY, do it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. The last, oh, I think the last seven or eight CDs have been, I've done them at home. Do you still make CDs or are you just selling them yeah, digitally? Yeah, I, I actually, well, the great thing about that is, is now you can order CDs from manufacturers and you can order 100 at a time, 50 at a time. It does, yeah. does, you don't have to order 1,000 anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I do it because my little loyal follow, following of about 200 people uh, still buy CDs. Okay. And, and and I do all the artwork myself online, so it's you keep the cost down. Are they profitable? Not really. Do I still love doing them? Yeah. Will I still do them? Probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's still what, people that want to hold a CD in their hand. Do you um – uh, use CD Baby or something like that. What, yeah, I use CD Baby, and I, I use CD Baby, TuneCore. I've distributed them all different kind of places. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, you 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 can you can actually watch the numbers from when I started. You can watch where the CD sales completely disappear and the digital online takes over. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. You can see it, but uh, I will probably always print some. If not, I give so many of them away anyway. Uh. Again, just to keep the music alive. Jim, you're working with um, different players all the time, and you're mentioning that you get guys coming and sitting in. Mm -hmm. Have you have you found um, uh, any good vibes or bad vibes between younger musicians and older musicians? Uh, do you find that there is a a camaraderie, or are they coming in thinking, uh, hey, "Oh yeah, who's this guy with gray hair?" Uh, is, is, is there any? Is, uh, what's it like? I mean, because well, I, I, I can remember yeah, what it was like when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I can remember. Uh, I can remember when my sax player and I were first in the fantasy band, uh, and this would be the '80s, and we played at a Ritz Hotel. I'll never forget that moment. Uh, and we we looked in, and there was a trio playing in the other room. We were playing pop music. The trio was playing jazz, and it was all older gentlemen with gray hair and. We were kind of we were kind of chuckling to ourselves, and now here I'm that guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm that guy, and I do I do see people. Uh, it's funny thing about getting old is, of course, you know you're getting older, but you really don't feel. I still feel like I'm in high school. And exactly. Like, yeah. My brain yeah. hasn't gone, you know, anywhere. And I'll be playing, and I'll see a, a younger couple of maybe are not into the jazz, and maybe never even heard a trumpet live before, and you'll see the look of like. What is that old man up there doing? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> true. And then on the other hand, you'll uh, you'll people will come up and say, "Hey, man, we don't know much about this music, but we we really like the way you sound." And I do see uh, a definite divide between the younger players and older players, but I don't think it's a uh, uh, in any way uh, done a, on a purpose to be a negative thing. Okay. I know some of the young players might think. When is this old guy gonna die so I can play? That's that interesting. I might okay. enter their mind, but uh, I don't. Most of the guys I see are are. Uh, I'm a little bit of a positive person, and yeah. I try to tell them the the best advice I could do. I mean, I will tell them when it's not good, and I will compliment them when it's great. Uh, and I don't say much, but I just try to help them as much as I can. And yeah. so I don't get that vibe from the musicians so much. That's just I, I feel the same thing. I feel like when I was a kid, I felt like there was just a little bit more of a schism. Like the older guys kind of looked down on yeah, you a little bit. I think I think it, you're right. I think you're right there. I think you're right. I didn't think about that, but the way you're saying it is correct. Yeah, and they, I I remember working with some uh, a couple. There were a couple of older players who were dear friends that really mentored me, and uh -huh. they were kind of they were kind of warning about things like don't show up with a fake book, you know, stuff right. like that. And right. uh, uh and uh, some of the younger guys would kind of look up their nose at the older players, but I'm not feeling that so much anymore. I've, at least yeah. with the musicians, I feel like there is an air of mutual respect, and I, yeah. I'm really grateful for that level of progress. I think it's cool that you're you're picking up on that as as well here. Well, you got to remember the world has gotten smaller just because of the the, the technology. Yeah, good thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we've been talking here for about you know 45 minutes. Um, we have, oh, I want you to promote yourself. Where can we find your music online, Jim? Tell me everything about Jim Manley online so that our listeners can go out there and find you directly. Well, it's pretty easy. My, uh, website is jimmanleymusic.com and everything's on there. My calendar's on there where I play. 
Uh, there's probably clips on there from the last CD. And, of course, everything's on uh, uh, Apple Music and uh, uh, Amazon and CD Baby and every streaming service that's possible. Uh, it's all out there. If you just type my name in, most likely you'll hear something. Okay. Cool. Good. I want to make sure I'll make sure we get that out there. This is a chance to make sure that people really know where they can find more about uh, your music, Jim. Here's the last question, concluding question. I tend to ask this of all my guests here. Um, we do want to encourage newer musicians to look at music as a possible career. You know, follow their dreams. I know a lot of people think, oh no, I would never encourage the young player to go into music. And I'm thinking, no, I don't. I don't like that thinking. Uh, so how will you advise a younger player to do this wisely in this day and age uh, as your parting thoughts to our, our listeners? Yeah, well, you know, that's a great question, Nick. And I have to say that I do tell them, I do tell the younger musicians that do say, hey, we want to do what you've done. I go, you know, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I'm going to say you're going to have a very uphill battle because okay. it's just there's just less and less places to play. Uh, less and less income f from different varieties that you used to be able to get from. And it's hard. So unless you're willing to sacrifice, I mean, if you'd like a brand new car every three years, that's not going to happen. If you'd okay. like a big home with a swimming pool, that's not going to happen. If you wouldn't mind living in a van down by the river, then maybe go into music. <laughs> I'm not, oh, I'm it that, yeah, well, I'm not saying it's that bad. I got you. I got you. But I do tell them the truth. It's, it's, and I have to say that. Uh, year after year after year, uh, I even wonder myself, how am I going to do this another, you know, 10 years or whatever it is? I mean, I've done it, so I'm kind of used to that, and I didn't have a big family or anything. And uh, my girlfriend and I, uh, you know, you have, I have somebody that we split the bill, so it works out pretty well. Yeah. But I have, to, I see a lot of the younger musicians really, really struggle with making a living because there aren't the playing places there used to be. I mean, if a guy in town here is working two or three nights a week, he's working a lot. Yeah. And it used to not be like that. And it's just like everything. Time changes. You have to find something else. You may be, you may be a smart enough young guy to incorporate fundraising on the Internet and do stuff like that. If people yeah. really want your music, they'll find you. And there's all different things that I have never even tapped into that are possible. Uh, you know, so you, you see, have so, to build some kind of following, basically, is what it is. Okay. So you perhaps see the Internet as being a new way of leveling the playing field, so to speak. Well, I think the Internet is, is, is a blessing and a curse at the same time. I mean, okay. I can remember when, when I would first have my stuff on iTunes and, and all the musicians were complaining because somebody would pay 99 cents for a song and we'd only get 70. We thought that was horrible. Well, now <laughs> look what happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, musicians are kind of built into, uh, they love to complain, I would say, a majority of them, you know. I always say musicians complain if they're working too much, and they're complaining if they're off. So there's yeah. no winning situation. You have to love it. That's the best advice I could give you. There you, you go. You have to really love it and accept the lifestyle that will come with it. That's really it. Okay. Well, that's great, great advice. And I think uh, a lot of ideas you know, can come out of this entire conversation we've had here, Jim. Um, man, Jim Manley, it has just been a thrill chatting oh, with you today. Uh, Nick, it's been great for me. I'm, I'm glad that we finally connected. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you let me ramble here for a little bit. Well, the thing is, your ramblings are laced with great ideas, and that is really a big piece of what this show is all about. I, I so, wish you could write a note for, for my parents on that, and I, I could go back <laughs> in time and give it to them. <laughs> I, I totally get that. Jim, thanks so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick, and keep, up the, uh, keep spreading the good word. We appreciate what you're doing. All right. I want to thank my guest and friend, Jim Manley, for sharing his experiences with us today. Jim is truly a highly accomplished trumpeter, and if I was able to contribute in some way, any tiny little way to getting a few more folks to check out his music, well, I'm grateful to have helped. He deserves it. Once again, please subscribe to this podcast, and please, please, please share it around. Over the past year, the show has been heard in well over 40 countries, and I'd love to see those numbers increase. The artists represented here truly are worthy of more and more listeners and they deserve your support so thanks for coming out and listening folks 
Okay, that's it for this week's edition of Variable Depossible Ensemble Projects Podcast. Till next week, this is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawsdorf, saying, don't stop the music. Peace. Peace.